We generally regard a woman's role in the medieval world as being limited to two choices, marriage or the convent. If a woman chose marriage and was of the upper classes, her primary job was then to provide heirs, preferably male, in order to continue her husband's family line. If a woman was of the serf class, a peasant, the job was very similar, provide children. But rather than carrying on the family line, this would be done to provide more workers for the fields, more hands on the farm. For women caught between these classes, their prospects hinged on a woman's father's ability to raise a dowry large enough to enable them to marry. If only a small dowry could be raised, a young woman could likely find herself married to the church, and thus dedicated to a life spent behind cloister walls. However, as we shall see today, this may not have been the life sentence we might suppose. For some women, life behind the walls of the nunnery could become something quite remarkable. My name is Richard Shepherd, and this is Hallowed Histories. In a medieval nunnery, providing it was run correctly, women gained a level of education, authority, and a responsibility that was unmatched by most of their secular sisters. Personal empowerment of a type found nowhere else could be found in a convent. The abbesses, who ran these places, wielded a great deal of power, and although convents had assistance from outside the house, it was the nuns themselves who were primarily responsible for the daily administration of their community. Those who held offices at the Benedictine nunnery at Barking Abbey in Essex in England were therefore skilled at combining the active and contemplative life. They had one foot in our world and one foot in their world. And it was their faithful reverence that allowed not only for several reported miracles to occur, but also for their desire to express a reverence through the written word. These nunneries, you see, produced some of the first books written by women throughout the entire world. Barking, the northernmost royal Benedictine abbey of Anglo-Saxon England, was founded in or about the year 666 CE on 1,000 acres of land, granted by Erkenwald to his sister Aethelberg, who became the first abbess. Aethelberg was described as being upright in life and constantly planning for the needs of her community, and she would need these skills in abundance. You see, this abbey was established during the time of the Great Plague, and many at Barking lost their lives, and as abbess, it was the job of Aethelberg to oversee these mass burials. When asked where the graves should be dug, Aethelberg was unsure and prayed for guidance. And according to one of our earliest historians, Bede the Venerable, God answered her prayer by manifesting a miracle. He describes it thus. A light from heaven like a great sheet suddenly appeared and shone over them all. After a short while, this brilliant light, which seemed brighter than the noonday sun, rose and travelled to the south side of the convent, and having remained over that area for a time, withdrew heavenwards in the sight of them all. This occurrence left no doubt in their minds that the light had also indicated the spot where their bodies were to rest and await the day of resurrection. It certainly beat a mass grave. In much the same way, Ethelberg herself was also received into heaven miraculously. According to a record in Old English Martyrology, Ethelberg, at the time of her death, was seen being drawn up into heaven by golden chains. Her successor was Hildeleth. While little is known of the lives of most of her contemporary sisters, Hildeleth is uniquely known to history through what is known as the Secan Manuscript. It's one of the earliest surviving manuscripts in history and dates back to the mid-11th century. The Secan is so named from its first line, Econ bibham goddess sectum beyond engla last aristoretan, which means tales of God's saints who first rested in England. As you can imagine, it's a look at the early saints of England and the miracles they performed. 
Through this record, the reputation of the Abbess Hildeleth was made. She was noted as being a healer, miraculously curing a blind woman. She was also regarded as the authority on something that sounds a little more strange and creepy, namely an expertise on which the visions of men who had been raised from the dead are reported. Apparently a home amongst the dead, Hildeleth was also responsible for the gathering of relics, the bones of martyred saints and their placing in nearby St. Mary's Church. Aside from this, and the abbey over which she ruled, Hildeleth was also known for a literary engagement, not only as an author herself, but also influential in literary circles. Like some early medieval literary salon, Hildeleth corresponded and advised other authors and other monasteries and nunneries, and her influence on contemporaneous authors included the monk Aldheim, who, while abbot of Malmesbury, dedicated to Hildeleth his treatise, the Lordibus Virginatis, in her honour. These abbesses came in all forms, however, some good, some bad, some venal, some saintly. The number at Barking Abbey included three queens and two princesses amongst their ranks. Thus, it is no wonder that according to the Doomsday Book, it came to be known as one of the richest monasteries and nunneries. Among its many benefactors, and perhaps the most famous, was Elizabeth de Vere. The Countess of Oxford, Elizabeth de Vere, was a widow who had vowed herself to chastity in an episcopal ceremony after her husband's death. Another benefactor, the redoubtable Cyril de Felton, while still married to Thomas de Morley, also took monastic vows. Perhaps a true calling to the cloistered life, perhaps an escape from a bad marriage. Either way, de Felton only really started a life when behind the walls of the abbey. Barking was receptive to admitting this particular type of woman to membership in its community, one who had married but still wished to join the nunnery. The abbey's 15th century ordinal, a sort of list of rules and regulations, gave widows the unusual privilege of wearing white clothes to take their vows, visibly conferring the purity of honorary virginity upon them as they entered religious life. In that manner, Sybil de Felton was born again. Not only was Barking famed for its wealth and the social standing of its community, it became even more famous for establishing one of the earliest female-centred literary traditions. In many ways, the literary culture of Barking Abbey was regarded as being a vital centre of Anglo-Saxon learning. Beginning with the rule of its second abbess, Hildeleth, remember her, in the late 7th and early 8th century, the women of Barking concerned themselves with teaching and studying three primary texts, those by Bede, Boniface, and Aldheim. This was probably due to the fact that these works share common themes relating to dying, the dead, visions of the afterlife, and the sufferings and deaths of virgin martyrs, which would have been very central to a nun's life. These would have been important things to know and remember for the women of the Abbey, whose primary role was involved intercession and the memorialization of the dead. Intriguingly, however, not only did the nuns of Barking teach the writings of Bede, Boniface and Altheim, but these authors also referenced the writings of Hildeleth herself. They considered her to be their equal, and close to the world of gods and miracles that fascinated people of the medieval period. Bede the Venerable specifically mentions a lost book, which evidently recorded visions experienced by the nuns of Barking concerning the death of their founding abbess, Ethelberg, which was a work commissioned by Hildeleth. To quote from Bede, this book states that in this monastery many signs and miracles were performed which have been written down by those who are acquainted with them as an edifying memorial for succeeding generations and copies are in the possession of many people. Some of these we have taken care to insert in this history. It is thus likely that the nuns themselves first recorded the signs and miracles that took place in the history of their abbey. Signs and miracles which were explicitly recognised as a form of memorialization in the account by Bede quoted above. Boniface, in his epistolary recounting of the vision of the monk of Much Wenlock, also alludes to a version of the narrative given to him by Abbas Hildeleth. 
the visions of the nuns are barking, it seemed, had gone viral. While it has historically been assumed that these accounts were orally transmitted, it is possible that there likewise existed letters between those early historians and Hitlerth, now lost. What are we to make of the fact that both Bede and Boniface refer to texts or accounts for or by nuns that have been written into their own surviving work? The comment about Hitlerth found in Boniface's letter takes on a greater significance when placed in the context of Bede's and Adelheim texts. At the very least, the evidence from Bede and Adelheim suggests that, under Hitlerth's rule, there was at Barking considerable interest in the commissioning, production, reception, and circulation of miracles and wonders. Moreover, the fact that these accounts were in written form suggests this might be well the home of some of the earliest writings attributed to female authors. Their barking was a centre of specifically literary culture as revealed by Altheim's De Virginate, which describes in detail the sheer extent of the nuns' engagement in scholarly activities. Taken together, the three texts reveal that under the rule of the academically-minded Abbas Hildeleth, Barking Abbey was the centre of a vibrant network of letters between the abbesses and nuns and prominent churchmen and other religious communities. However, like a lot of religious communities in East Anglia at the time, the abbey was destroyed by the Vikings in about 870. When it was eventually rebuilt by popular demand, it again became a house for women only and remained thus until its surrender on November 14, 1539, when Henry VIII's dissolution finished off the place better than any Viking raid could. However, after the rebuilding, the original rebuilding that is, and before Henry VIII, Barking Abbey again re-established a reputation as one of the wealthiest, most prestigious, and most influential places in the country. Not only did close links to the highest echelons of English society continue, but it also remained the centre of an important literary culture. For example, Elfgiver, abbess from about 1066 to 1086, commissioned the celebrated biographer Gosselin of St. Bertin to write a history of the lives of its founding abbesses. Mary Beckett, the sister of St. Thomas of Beckett, who governed the house from 1173 to 1175, likewise commissioned Gurns de Pont Saint-Maxence to compose a life of her martyred brother. Books on the lives of saints were the bestsellers of the day, and before many people could read, were printed and hoarded eagerly by monasteries, universities, and the aristocracy. To support this publishing industry and cement the reputation of Barking Abbey, two nuns likewise composed their own saints' lives. One, who remained anonymous, produced the first vernacular translation in Anglo-Norman of Elred of Rivol's Life of Edward the Confessor, and the other, a nun called Clements, translated the life of St. Catherine of Alexandria, again into Anglo-Norman, the language of the day. It was through this prolific writing, and through writing in the spoken language of the day, that we can see Barking Abbey not only as a beacon of a new life and hope for women, lucky enough to be able to take orders in their medieval era, but also as one of the first publishing houses. The Hallish History Podcast was hosted by me, Richard Shepherd, with research done by Dr. Linda Shepherd. Technical production was done at the UEA Media Suite. This podcast was produced with the Interdisciplinary Institute for the Humanities. Find out more about them at the UEA website. You can write to us at hallowedhistories at gmail.com and check out our website, hallowed-histories.org. And don't forget to leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you very much. <laughs>